passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our coverage of the G1 Climax, night number two of 19. Welcome, Way. Are you ready? Night number two? I mean, I have to be by this point, don't I? You have to, yes. Oh, yeah. I've watched so much wrestling this weekend that I I just had to hit stop today and just uh, could, could not proceed further with any more professional wrestling than was manageable yeah yeah this weekend felt uh pretty crazy um like it felt like as as hectic as like a wrestlemania weekend um and it's not going to be that uncommon in for in the future john you know with these collisions on saturdays especially with the g1 going on yeah the next month is certainly going to be trying to get in all of this stuff what i'm curious did you watch this weekend what did you seek out I saw the first night of the G1, so that was already like a pretty big time investment. I watched the second half of Collision, which ended up probably being like the lesser talked about um, half of Collision. And uh, of course, I watched Yoshihiko versus Mike Bailey. Yeah, we both, as we all complain about how much there was to watch, both of us made time to watch that. I thought that was spectacular. So I thought it fun. was like, it's not even to me a, a okay, it might not, not be your preference. If you cannot appreciate like having an 18 minute match with a doll that has 800 people at the Melrose ballroom captivated. My rule is you can hate it, but you have to be able to replicate that if it's just so mindless. And so like that to me would be so much harder than doing any type of pro wrestling match. Mm -hmm. I've always felt that way about any of these Yoshihiko matches or Kenny Omega wrestling, you know, a little girl, like any, any of these types of performances that tend to, um, I think what people have an issue with is that maybe it like um, sort of like um, maybe they believe mocks sort of like the, um, I don't know, immersion of, of something like uh, what professional wrestling should be. And that's supposed to be some sort of like, um, you know, believable simulation of real life. But that's not why we all enjoy pro wrestling. Certainly when you watch something like The Undertaker, is what sort of simulation is that? It's about entertainment. It's about like, you know, impressive physical feats and watching a Yoshihiko match is always a very impressive physical feat. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't want to make this like a larger topic than it is, but like, number one, this is probably your most dedicated, loyal pro wrestling followers that are seeking something like this out. They have a clear appreciation for 
the art of it that I think you can find in something like this. I love the fact that within 12 hours, I watched Speedball Mike Bailey and Yoshihiko. And the next morning, I was watching Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kento Miyahara. And this is all professional wrestling. And I can appreciate wide variances of it. And I mean, there's so much larger real stuff that makes the industry look poor and embarrassing. This is hardly it. And I, I like, you don't have to like it. I'm not here to legislate what you like and dislike. Um, But to me, it's like, I just watched that and I'm super impressed. Like it would be no different than someone going up and doing a sketch comedy show all by themselves on a stage. And I would be in awe of that, of having no one to play off of and having an, an audience captivated and watching you and keeping their interest and growing throughout 18 minutes like that to me is an unbelievable achievement that someone could pull off well i would suggest this this might be more akin to somebody getting up on stage and performing the entirety of the godfather by themselves with them playing every single character because that's basically what we saw with mike bailey versus Yoshihiko. a replication which would be clever for the first two minutes of someone trying this but by minute 18 i would be like wow this is dreadful to imagine Yeah, yeah Uh, I almost don't even want to spoil it like for people that haven't seen it. So if you ever intend on going out to watch it, just sign up for what is it? Uh, Fight Plus. Yes. Is that what it's called? Fight Plus. Fight Plus. You, you know, the GCW show from Friday night. Yeah. Go and do yourself a favor. Watch it. Uh, Utami Hayashishida is also on the show. Take it on Lufisto in the main event. Worth going out just to kind of watch um, all those things, of course. But if you're if you don't care, if you just want to listen on. So what happened was Mike Bailey and Yoshihiko, of course, if you don't even know who that don't, is, don't ruin who won. <laughs> Yoshihiko, of course, the blow up doll made famous in DDT via Kota Ibushi and several others. Mike Bailey had this match with a blow up doll and move for move for a good portion of the entire match. Um replicated Omega versus Osprey number two. Now, at what point, John, did you realize did it click in your head that that's what was being attempted here? Oh, I think as soon as the os cutter spot uh, was, was hit, I I realized what he was doing here, and then um, it because it, 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 it I watched it knowing that he was doing that, and from the get go, you see like everything was there, including like the you know the the opening sort of like uh headlock sequences uh all the way to like a you can't escape attempt and of course everything with Matt. How many McCallum. times do you think he's watched that match? A, a guy like Mike Bailey, I'm sure more than five times. Yeah, he's a studier for sure. Yeah, we it's should uh, we, we should get him back on. It was like, yeah, best of the Super Juniors was nice. You've done all these matches. We want to talk about the Yoshihiko match with you. Yeah. Well, Let's we should get you we should get Yoshihiko really. We've already spoken to Mike Bailey. Maybe we could get both of them on together. Well, I, 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 as, as much as I D- think, depending you know, on Yoshihiko's condition, I mean, did get you know um, a punctured forehead. I guess does Yoshihiko speak English? That's the biggest question. Might need. We'll get a translator. Yeah, yeah, it but, was it was great. Like the rolling German spot, I was just like, <laughs> it was oh, unreal. Some of these things were just like, I don't care. Insane. Like you have to. Uh, there has to be a portion, of, and it's funny because. Like it was always the saying, like this guy could have a great match with a broomstick. And that was yep. like considered such a compliment. I was like, okay, let's imagine Ric Flair literally wrestling with a broomstick. Would it be that entertaining? Ric Flair, Yoshihiko. I think that's a that's a dream match, really. Um, we, we could still get it. You know, Rick is Ric still. Ric Flair's real last match. <laughs> His real last match. <laughs> Yoshihiko retires Ric Flair. <laughs> that was my last match against a human. 
<laughs> that would be the one allowance yeah, I think Kyle, people would give Flair to break. Somebody tell Conrad to, to convince him to do that. But, you know, like you said, John, like uh, an analogy I like to make is you saying that like wrestling should only be one thing is like saying movies should only be dramatic Oscar best picture nominee films, mm-hmm. you know, when we all like we all love how many people are, are say, would, would be out there saying you like comedies <laughs> what's what's wrong with you movies should reflect real life they should be completely as, as simulations of real life you you like sci-fi that like you know that stuff like completely kills my immersion it bastardizes the the art form of filmmaking i mean the, how silly does that sound or people who think like oh music should only be classical you know like um uh, like what like rap you know, like like these guys don't even play instruments. Like, how silly does that sound? And why yeah, are we I mean, it's pro just, wrestling the same? It, it's it's all in in what you're seeking out. Like, I'm always curious to see like what what works with people. What what, what limits can you expand upon? That ultimately you are just trying to deliver to an audience. And if an audience is engaged by it then i think you should learn from that and and you can dismiss it again like it doesn't have to be everyone's cup of tea much like a match on the g1 doesn't have to be your cup of tea there's definitely a match we're going to talk about that was not my cup of tea today and that's fine that is art like it is not going to be my my love of something might be ways hatred of something and that's cool like and stuff like this is usually it's the opposite like where you might have had like a more acceptance of a match like that, but I, I can't watch that 18 minutes and not be just very impressed at what, what I'm seeing and somebody pulling this off and an audience on their feet for, for this as well. Like, yeah. I just think like that takes an unbelievable amount of skill. And, and if you can't at least acknowledge that, um, I, I think you just greatly underestimate what, what that entails to do in front of an audience. And you can apply it to any art form of handicapping someone in that respect to give a performance. Yeah. And I swear everybody, this is a G1 review. No, we're done. That's it. We don't don't always go on these tangents. Okay. Especially our other co-hosts that they're not going to, you know, spend all like 10 minutes talking about Yoshihiko, but um, there's a lot of stuff from the weekend. I want to chat with you about, but we'll save that for Monday night after raw. Cause there was so much uh, coming out of the show, but let, uh, let us fast forward to, the G1. And, uh, and before we even do that, let's remember this is a free show. So hello, everybody listening to us on a probably a Monday morning. A lot of you guys, these this is part of our post wrestling cafe G1 coverage uh, that we have been doing every single summer now, you know, as part of our bonus coverage over on uh, post wrestling cafe.com. This, this is the 11th summer I've done these. That's crazy. Wow. We did. We didn't celebrate 10 years. No, no, it came and went. Well, 11, 11 is, is, is a pretty big number as well. So but the first few were just myself talking in a room by myself. I mean, it wasn't, uh, I didn't get in too many arguments or debate with anyone. You were having a Yoshihiko match with your G1 coverage. I guess so. I, I, I guess so. So that was, uh, that, that was how these, uh, these started, how I kept my, myself busy at a time when, uh, I was not all that busy. It, that is right. Yeah. It's been an annual tradition for John Pollock for 11 years. It's been five years for me. But this year, of course, we also have a bunch of other people joining us as well. Bruce Lord and Karen Peterson, who did a great job covering opening night, which you can find right now over at the Post Wrestling Cafe. WH Park and Eric Marcotte will be teaming up later on in this series. So bonus shows every single card of the G1. For those who subscribe at the Post Wrestling Cafe for $6 a month or video.postwrestling.com or even on Apple Podcasts, for those of you listening there. 
Yeah, it's a great, great time to jump on board. You will have every G1 card covered for you. In addition to all of our other regular shows on the cafe, Rewind to SmackDown, Collision Course, all of it uh, coming your way on the Post Wrestling Cafe. And it also comes with everyone's unique ranking system. Now, Way and I are preferential to coffee, but I, I love Bruce's scotch. <laughs> That um, I was just listening when he mentioned that that Godfather drink of his, uh, like whiskey with a splash of amaretto. I'm um, like he was he was just uh, throwing out ideas there. I've never heard of that concoction, but uh, I loved it. And then Karen introducing us to the ice cream method, the ice cream ratings. Yeah, I mean you know um, of course Dave Dave Meltzer pioneering the the match rating system. He's got this his stars. Um, we're partial to coffee, but somehow it's like it's kind of descended into just a complete like unintelligible like what it's basically what what do you what do you like to drink or what do you like to eat <laughs> and, i'm curious what eric is going to introduce to us maybe like a sonata suits or something like that i i mean what, what how is he sure. going to rank i don't know yeah. whs sandwiches of course um I, it's just i like this is supposed to be a way for like us to tell people what what to watch and I think it's just completely broken down to just like, what do you like to eat? <laughs> Anything um, notable that came out of night one for you? Any of the standouts? What was your match of the show? Uh, for me, it was, um, I really liked uh, uh, all of the matches from the, the quote unquote Rayoa Re- three Musketeers. I thought all three of them looked tremendous. You had a match, of course, between Red Narita and Shota Umino. And those two were excellent with each other. Um, that was my match of the show. Mm-hmm. Yota Suji and Gabriel Kidd. Sorry, uh, Yota Suji uh, Kaito and, and Kaito Kiyomiya. Yeah, yeah, that was probably my my other contender for match of the night. Um, I thought like A Block is the young kids block, and all the young kids impressed. I felt, and some of the older guys because I thought Taichi had a great match with Will Osprey. That was that was my mm-hmm. second match of the of the that was my number two match of the show as well. Um, I guess. Uh, mild upset with Taichi beating Will Ospreay, but you had Okada beating Great Okan. Okada and Okan did nothing for me. I thought it was very by the numbers Same. and just didn't move me in any meaningful way. It was just a match for me. And then Sonata retaining against Hikuleo, which was, it was fine, um, but not not a show stealer by any stretch, but Sonata gets the two points coming out of that. So uh, you can go listen to Bruce and Karen. They have a great review of night number one. We're going to be focusing on Sunday show, their second night in Sapporo doing 2,888. Yeah, and Bruce should... didn't mix in a uh, Sapporo with any of his rankings for these two nights. I think I think uh, maybe you know next year's G one maybe he'll he'll break out the beer rankings as well. But uh, we should know that these two shows are available for free to watch on New Japan World. So ngpwworld.com um, is, I guess, a smart way you know for them to be able to get out um, you know just get people on board for this first weekend. And just comparing the attendances, uh, night one they drew three thousand one hundred and forty five, which one year ago, they were in the same cities for the same opening two nights. So they were up from last year's opening night. That was 2,891. Night two this year drew 2,888, which uh, compares to 2,942 from last year. So there were a grand total of uh, like 54 more fans last year. So I, I don't know what that tells you about the health of New Japan year to year. Fair, fairly uh, static between uh, the second nights. And we get into... Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton, who are on the English broadcast for night number two. And we're starting off with the C block with Tomohiro Ishii and David Finley. And 
Finley is working on the knee of Ishii and is kicking away at it. At one point, Ishii just no-sells as he's doing like the John Jones kick to the knee and then hits a pounce onto Finley. And Finley ducks a sliding D, hits a release German and a dominator. And after a spear, that generates a near fall for Finley and then uh, gets headbutted by Ishii in response. This killer lariat for a two count at the 15-minute mark. And we can talk about this because this year they are... In incorporating 20-minute time limits as opposed to the previous 30-minute time limits. So I think just watching this for the two nights, it adds such more urgency, and the audience is buzzing when they give the, like, five minutes remaining, and they're, like, there's a an energy in the crowd, at least the first two nights when you're teasing the time limit. And in the case of uh, uh, Narita and Umino, going the full 20 minutes on night number one. So time is winding down. Finley lifts him up for, it looks like a reverse bloody Sunday, but turns it into a suplex before hitting oblivion. And David Finley gets his first two points of the tournament, 15 minutes and 55 seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, first on, on the 20 minute time limit thing, I, I think it's a change that I absolutely love. One of my big complaints is that, especially in the main events in New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, a lot of matches are just kind of needlessly long for the sake of, you know, um, I don't know, fitting in sort of a format where, like, main events have to be 30 minutes. And I've never liked that. I felt like that's kind of been, you know, um, forced. And and they have kind of gotten away from that this year with, like, the exceptionally lengthy main events for the sake of it that, and I'm sure that ties it in here as well. You're doing eight tournament matches. You want to keep these at like three hour shows. Yeah, that's the big difference, too. You know, rather than having undercard multi-man matches, every single match now is a part of the G1. And that can get really exhausting when you tell the audience that all you really have to invest is 20 minutes per. I think it makes it way easier to keep up with it. It keeps people's energy throughout the course of the evening and allows for you to tell stories with time limit trials that are a lot more justifiable. So I, I, I'm in huge favor of, of this change. I thought this was a pretty good match. You know, when I followed the Ishii formula pretty closely, I thought Finley looked decent. I think he has heel charisma. That's really good. He played a more than capable heel partner for Ishii. Although I didn't find the middle portion of the match with him in control all that compelling. Um, but Ishii's selling was strong and nuanced as always. it's you know maybe just a portion of a match that were that felt kind of like a prerequisite rather than something a bit more worthwhile so what do you think john this was a large coffee it like a large black coffee no milk no sugar no frills just um an 8 a.m order to get your day started it does the job of just kickstarting you to get the day going and that Mm -hmm. was it satisfying but nothing nothing no no additives to the coffee and as an opener like i i don't know if if they're seeking to you know go the xl level like with with false finishes and whatnot like maybe large is about what what you would anticipate i went large one cream myself and people listening to this for the first time are like what it's it it is whatever you want to make of it that's that's the system right there Hiroki Goto against Toriyano in the D block. Uh, Toriyano accompanied by Tomukun. Do you want to explain, Wei? Uh, Tomukun. Tomukun? Tomukun, who appears to be the official mascot of the Nobu, Nobori Betsu region of Hokkaido, town in Hokkaido here. So a local town mascot accompanying Toriyano. He was out. He or I imagine he. Uh, we can't assume anything. You know? No, we can't. It's it's um 2023. 
So they note that Yano had the shortest match in G1 history last year at 18 seconds. So he immediately goes for a cover and the crowd is buzzing, thinking he might break his own record. But it's a great near fall spot and Goto kicks out and then Yano reverses the Goto Shiki for another near fall. And we go to the floor and both are trying to Irish whip the other into the barricade and they're just spinning each other around and around, getting dizzy. And it ends with Goto going into the rail and Goto goes underneath the ring and Tomokan is sent under the ring with Yano going too. So the ref is just left. Everyone is underneath the ring and the count begins. Yano comes out on the other end and then eventually Goto comes out and has the top headpiece, the mask of Tomokan on top of his head as he is all discombobulated and gets it off and just gets in at the count of 19 and Forget the backstage interviews. I want the pre-match interviews of like how this was pitched to Goto and whether he suggested let's let's get it right to 19 and coming up at the spot. I I found this comical. Like a Yano match, sometimes he is, I think, brilliant. There's other times that to me it's just He's out of ideas. Uh, this, to me, was a, a fresh one that they had. Going back to the conversation we had earlier, John, you know, pro wrestling can really be it's 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 a canvas for artists to paint on. And sometimes um, artists might paint a caricature, you know, a funny picture. And that's what Toriano is. And he offers a wonderful physical break for a lot of, a lot of the participants. But I think also a creative break in, in, for for, you know, the other wrestlers and certainly for the audience when they're trying to watch these shows. And like you said, John, sometimes the results are. Mm, maybe routine and and tiresome other times when they're creative they're completely memorable and i thought this was one of those i thought this was a really fun comedy match that offered something different from the usual yano bag of tricks and principally um in any sort of like successful comedy duo you need a great kind of wild comedy funny person and you need a great straight man and i don't know if you can ask for a better straight man than somebody as stoic as hiroki goto somebody you would never picture doing any sort of comedy match suzuki would have done the spot (laughs) suzuki's way funnier though he's done he's like he's he's done everything but yeah goto like is the last person i would i would expect to want to play along with something like this and i thought he was great like the reverse irish whip like repeatedly in the in the in the middle uh, uh, was hilarious him putting on the the helmet it was very creative and again felt different from a usual yano match so goto gets sent into an exposed turnbuckle and then Yano goes for the low blow, but he is stopped by Goto, who headbutts Yano and then traps the wrists and hits the GTR. Goto wins in six more six minutes and 44 seconds. And then uh, Tomokin emerges from underneath the ring, leaving with Yano to the back. So Goto gets his two points. Uh, I went medium here with a uh, with a with a milk. Uh, it, it was it was it was fun uh, for, for what it was. I, yeah, well, that's something that I think. Um, uh that that I've come to realize about like these sort of matches, they never get rated that high, you know, and and, and there will never be a four star Tor- Toriano match. Um, mm. He had a pretty great one with Kenny Omega. Like, listen, if was he, that if a he, four star match? Listen, Bailey and uh, Yoshihiko. Like, I, I would go pretty high on that one. So I'm, it it I'm can be done. I I'm not going to overrate this one though, just on the fact that incorporating a mascot for a count out tease like well, it was fun i guess like i think so much of like our like maybe collective idea of what a good match is constitutes how much um 
physicality is involved. And Yano matches typically are very easy on the body. But I I want to this year, John, just go by how entertained I was. Give your extra large. Just give it up. <laughs> it's not an extra, but I'm giving this one a large one cream. Same as, you know, the first match. For what maybe lacked in physicality, I thought it made up for it in overall engagement and inter- entertainment. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think for one show, we should do like we have... Like, let's really complicate it, and we'll get, like, a certain, like, milliliters of coffee that we can distribute over eight matches. So you have to be judicious in how much you give out because you can't run out of coffee. So we'll have an actual physical pot of coffee. Yeah, right? or at least we can do the math as we go because we're No, great. we got to do it for real. We got to have, like, a, like you and I. You have to actually like... drink the amount you give out. Okay. Yep. That that might make for a pretty quick review. Uh, That'd be the gross. End. I think by the by the end, I think I'd be watching some terrible matches, or at least telling myself I did. Next match. Okay, so this was very interesting. It was Aaron Hanare against Mikey Nichols, and Nichols makes his entrance, and Hanare comes out, and if you remember at the press conference, his face was all covered, and. I mean, I didn't even think twice about it. I was like, I don't know. Maybe this is guy's just, you know, he's he's being a responsible person post-pandemic. Kinda, uh, is that? I thought it was like kind of a cool look. Is he like going for like a Daft Punk thing? You know? So it turns out, and I think we all missed this unless you were really paying attention. But on July the 5th, um, the Maori News did do a feature on Aaron Hanare. And he got a, um, it, it's called a meteora on his face to honor his Maori roots and this is essentially a tattoo across his face that he stated was the most painful thing he has ever undergone in his life. And this like stunned everyone when he revealed it here, although he wasn't necessarily hiding this, like this feature had been out for like 10 days or so. Um, hmm. But this, I mean, they showed the pictures of it and his family watching him and how important this means for his roots. And also the fact like he like, obviously, he was going to give New Japan a heads up on this. But in Japan, like, there are places you cannot enter with a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it, it appears like he is not going to have any any kind of limitations in Japan uh, with this. Um, I so mean, anyway. as, a, as a wrestler, like, going to wrestling venues, obviously not. But can he go to, like, an onsen, you know, that, that uh, like, or all onsens? I mean, you can even have a simple tattoo on your, like, arm and, and some places might not allow you just because I believe to, like, the um, association with the Yakuza. Um, but, yeah, anyway. it's Yeah, it it's, says here, the, the Meteora brings a lot more than just visual, spiritual, and emotional change for Hanare. He must also navigate the land of the rising sun with a visual tattoo, which Japanese view as taboo or connected to gangsters. Though mm-hmm. not illegal, some places in Japan dictate whether people must cover tattoos up before they enter a premises or be denied from entering, such as restaurants and gyms. But it's not a problem for someone answering the call of his ancestors. Hanare has already given the company New Japan the heads up about his Meteora, and with its acceptance, will compete inside the ring without any fear of being denied through the door when he returns to action in august so well hey listen if there's a field where like tattoos on the face are kind of like not just accepted but sort of welcome i mean it's it's professional wrestling you know we it it makes him look like a standout you know well i want to make sure this guy can go to cesera and stuff like it's nice (laughs) that you can go wrestle but i hope he can go and get his like general you know yeah uh, have lunch and not worry about being turned away uh, no, I, I, I hope he knows somebody at size area who can uh, hook him up. Um, 
I think it's really cool. You know, Chris Dalton made, made a big deal about saying how this is the first person in pro sports to display these markings. And I can only imagine if you come from that background, um, what it means to see somebody like this proudly uh, sporting, you know, uh, uh, taking a risk, really, you know, for, for your professional and personal life in, in doing something like this. So um, I feel like this is not even the biggest talking point of this match. It will not be. So... Kosei Fujita is in the corner of Mikey Nichols. So this was the first of three TMDK matches on this show with Shane Haste and Zack Sabre Jr. to come. And uh, Nichols gets sent over the barricade with an Irish whip. And then Hanara hits a curb stomp. And then Mikey Nichols goes for a tornado DDT. And this thing looked so bad uh, as he executed this. This was my first concerning spot of the match. But by the end, I don't think anyone was even paying attention to this. Then they get on all fours. And they just start bashing each other in the head with headbutt, headbutt, headbutt. And suddenly Mikey Nichols is busted open from these headbutts. A favorite spot well, of ours. So they do this like typically uh, I've seen it. We saw it in, in stardom. We've seen it in, in New Japan matches, even like, you know, this year. I don't think I've heard thuds this hard. This is ugly clunking since Okada versus Shibata. Like it directly reminded me of that because you heard that. Like, can I make that sound like right now? Like, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it knock. was it was only a few months after Okada Shibata that uh, Kevin Owens and Vince McMahon did the 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 headbutt spot as as well, and that was a pretty ugly one too. And yeah. you're talking about a much older guy in Vince taking that. So anyway, uh, Mikey Nichols, like you know, bleeding from the from the head. Um, and then what concerned me the most was like them doing some spots afterwards. Like I believe it was some sort of like forearm or something. And Nichols' feet were shaky. Now, of course, in wrestling, anytime it, it it could always just be great selling. But man, like I, I had reason to believe that it wasn't just that. He then hits uh, his version of the Blue Thunder Bomb, the Mikey Bomb, which has to be the least threatening name that has ever been put in front of bomb that you can come up with. <laughs> it's the Mikey Bomb. Yeah. It sounds like a shot that, you know, a frat house would put together. It's like, how unoriginal could it be to just insert your name? Like, hey, what's your finisher? It's the John Bomb. <laughs> that sounds kind of cool, actually. The John Bomb. That, you I should mean, actually... that does sound better than the Mikey Bomb. I think you should just change it, Paul, like to Bomb as your last name. Nichols then misses a moonsault off the top, and Hanara hits the step-up knee, the justice knee, in honor of Yuji Nagata, into the corner. And then Nichols uh, makes his comeback, and he goes for his finisher, the Master Blaster. And this is a pump-handle driver, and dude, he drops Hanare on his head. And I had the same thought that Kevin Kelly vocalized. Kevin Kelly just yells, shit! And Hanare is immediately checked on. Nichols pins him for the three count. This was absolutely frightening and dude hanare was down for a bit they're checking on him he does get up but he is helped to the back um i don't even feel comfortable rating this i did not enjoy this i thought it was um sloppy and very scary in multiple instances um of this and you know two key ones involving like the neck with the tornado ddt and then this master blaster at the end say nothing of the headbutt spots i really did not uh enjoy this at, at all yeah yeah i had a very similar reaction john um the headbutts enough or enough to turn me off but then seeing this finish Ugh, it um, was really ugly looking like it was 
it was it, amazing he was up and it, like he was being helped to the back yeah. but i mean jesus christ was it scary yeah like it looked like an emerald frozen but with the sheer like straight down drop and you know i have to say um this in any match would be concerning in the fucking opening round undercard match third match from the bottom like third match of eight on a fucking opening weekend of a g1 it's stupid like really stupid and i really hope anari is okay after this i mean i think he was walking to the back so you know we or, or helped to the back but on his feet so at least there's that much but i hated it i thought it was way too reckless for my comfort and my enjoyment as a fan um it was probably like one of the most rest, reckless wrestling matches I've seen in a long time between those two very dangerous things. The skull and skull headbutts and then that sheer drop on the head. I would take skiers in my head any day over some of this type of stuff. And um, I would certainly take a thousand Yano Goto matches over something like this. Um, it just, I was comfortable rating it, John. I gave it a negative large. Um, so a that would be like, large. you know, me drinking my coffee. And I'm spitting it back in my cup, and then I'm serving it back to Tim Hortons. So um, a bit of a first there. I did not like this. Yeah, I'm giving this a Yelp review. Um, yeah, this this was just I, – I really thought this was like the low point of the tournament so far was was this match. The booking was confusing to me too because like I mean mm. I, I, think, I think to have a guy come out with a brand new look, much less a face tattoo, I don't know if the best way to you know have him come out of it would be to have him lose. I think for a lot of these, you have to look at the big picture of where they're going and where the points play in. And Mikey Nichols is also someone that, I mean, he's not one of the standout performers. And sometimes you do want to give him that that big win to get out of the gate with something. I guess I, I get that for all most of the people. I get that for like a, you know, Tai Chi. I get that for like a lot of guys. But you only get one chance to debut with your face tattoo. What if Ghetto had booked this entire tournament through the end and then Hanare like rings them up and say, hey. I have this idea for a tattoo and then Gettle's like, Oh man, oh shit, too late. That's really going to connect with people. And I've got you going like two and seven. And Uh, Hanare's got Shingo Takagi as his next match. Hanare has Shingo Takagi. Yeah. yeah, This was, um, you know, it's Lance storm always says this and it's one where, you know, you'll see something like this and then you hear after the fact, Oh, he was fine though. It's like, okay, he might be moving and he can do this, but it's like, this stuff adds up for guys and it might not be the effects of this are felt now, but it's like you're adding things up on your bump card and it's like, it's the neck and you don't know how you're going to wake up the next day either. And long-term like stuff that you can have. And believe me, I don't think this master blaster was intended to be this uh, vicious. Um, yeah. So but nonetheless, it's uh, something that, I mean, you'd be very uncomfortable taking um after after seeing something like this i i think for me the bigger concern were was the skull and skull headbutts part of me was wondering like i mean was yeah was and Nich- that and that there's no like, was nichols in was any the intent yeah. was nichols in any condition to perform a spot like that at the very end having gone through a skull on skull series of headbutts it's i mean it's a totally valid question and stuff that i think you should be you know focusing upon of like the the leeway given here it's like these I don't know. Uh, To me, it's like when you live through something like Shibata, to me, that's that's a industry altering event that if you're not learning from it, I mean, what are we doing? Um, Hmm. And for a company like forget like if you want to just be so callous as to not even uh, think about the the well-being of your performers, at the very least covering yourself as a company that you know what? Those are out. 
Like that spot, it, it, you're you're not having any different opinion without the uh, the on the, the all fours clunking head spot in mm-hmm. this match. That is like it's there. It's it's a forearm exchange, like with oh, your yeah. head. Like that's what it yeah. is. It's not even like the memorable moment of the match. And I hate them, but they you know there's still a you know preponderance. They, they don't seem to be occurring like in WWE certainly, and I like I'd never seen them in AEW to my recollection. Certainly after you know the, this memo, I I don't anticipate seeing them much. But for whatever reason in Japan, uh, still get the chair shots to the head in Mexico. I mean, there's there's some places that they just like that stuff does exist. It's it's less. It is less. Um, but anyway, so that that was our um, definitely the concerning match of the show. Mm-hmm. Shane Haste was following this. So Kosei Fujita had to walk to the back of Mikey Nichols and then immediately come back out here with Shane Haste to take on Alex Coughlin. And the story coming into this is Alex Coughlin's speech at the press conference that I only saw bits and pieces of. I didn't see the whole thing, um, but they were uh, joking about it here, about how he uh, he put everyone to sleep with how long it was. Um but uh, uh i mean that was more heel talk wasn't it like who was joking it was jeff cobb right and, it was and, jeff cobb yeah later yeah. that brought it up but, but in but essence he, he was he, he was, was sharing a, a story about new japan and trying to get he wanted to get two t-shirts for his parents and new japan wouldn't shell out two t-shirts to send back and instead told him like there's a halloween sale going on if that's any uh consolation and he was like all this time away from my family and in the dojo and working hard and you can't even give me two t-shirts and the fact that he was not even booked in the g1 until aussie open signed with aew and created two slots that got alex Coglin in here and yeah. it was listening to this and then you also had yesterday for the Umino Narita match where they're talking about the whole three musketeers label and Chris Charlton, God bless him. Like he's trying to explain, well, new Japan knew they would hate this label and they don't want to be the, the new anything. They want to be the first versions of them. So it's new Japan, almost like lighting a fire under them by putting this label that they knew people would revolt <laughs> so they, against. So they purposely didn't give Alex Coughlin the two free t-shirts to well, fire him up for this G1. Th- that was not it. But And then in this one, Chris <laughs> is like, I understand people's frustration with companies that make record profits and still, uh, and still let people go. And he's explaining all this. And it's like to the viewer out there, like this uh, mysterious head of New Japan, like they're the ultimate heels. Like it's just like what a heel company when you hear like these stories from them. It's like they just screw with their wrestlers. This is how, you know, like in New Japan, they don't like I don't think they have to vet anybody's promos whatsoever, especially for these press conferences. No, there's no way you would want like, Alex Coughlin going out and just, yeah. man, like you could not make New Japan look worse than this story that he told. I mean, but you know, what was the pipe bomb, right? Like it, it, so much of like great material for a wrestler is just like their bitterness towards their company, especially in this case, like a, a, a heel with the bullet club, who I think is supposed to be very anti-authority anyway, chip on his shoulder, like it resulted in a big, great promo from Alex Coughlin and certainly got him on a lot of people's radar. I thought coming off of that excellent press conference overall. So Coughlin is caught on a dive and gets suplexed on the floor. And they state that Hanara is being evaluated in the back. And then Coughlin goes after referee Kent Asano, just yell, you motherfucker off a two count. And then Coughlin goes and grabs the strong uh, tag title and, Sano takes it away as Haste is able to lift him up for a Uranagi off of his shoulders and wins the match in 10 minutes and 57 seconds. It was, 
I don't know. I, I found this to be a very bland match between mm-hmm. these two. They did not jump out off the page, and both of them were in that position to put a spotlight on them. And I think Coglin had a, a bit of buzz coming off of this press conference. And I don't know. They, to me, they just they didn't stand out in in the block or on the show. Agreed. I, I thought the match itself, like maybe in any other promotion, it would have been perceived as good, but. In the G1, I really found it largely forgettable. In terms of personality, I thought they both, unfortunately, felt rather generic. Though I do feel like Coughlin has grown as a heel. Um, but I, I do think maybe I was also critical of maybe how nonsensical Alex Coughlin's decision was to bring weapons in. And Chris Charlton even brought it up here. Well, what's this guy going to do? Like, you know, get himself DQ'd and, and lose points? Like, what was the intent here? That, that he was so frustrated that he, that he was going to, what, DQ himself by... Like yeah, what, he got the belt here, and then Sano took it away and saved him because they would have been disqualified. And then th- that ended up being the finish. It was like he got distracted by his own weapon being taken away, and it led to him getting e- eating the pin. So um, I I didn't love that. Um, didn't really kind of make him look great. Didn't really make either guy look great, to be honest with you. So for me, it was a medium one cream. I mean, the silver lining here is that he probably does get a, a G1 t-shirt. I hope so. Can I get a size for my mother by any chance? <laughs> it's like, well, we're well, doing our summer sale next month. So uh, 10 minutes, 57 seconds. And uh, yes, it's Shane Hayes getting the two points. So uh, TMDK 2-0 and on What's this your rating? so far. Uh, I, I give this one a, um, a, a, a medium with a, a hint of sugar. Okay. Hint. A hint is, you know, get the hint. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Shingo Takagi and Eddie Kingston next, okay? This one was not bland. C-block match. Kingston is out with the strong openweight championship. And this guy, it's like he is walking into the the biggest match of his life. That's the aura he presents when he walks out for this entrance. And Just, just honestly, this scene alone of like seeing Eddie Kingston in the G1, standing across from Shingo Takagi, you know, as, as anybody who maybe has followed his love of Japanese pro wrestling, just seeing him in Japan in the G1 across from a former champion like Shingo, that in itself was like a holy shit moment, really. Like to four years ago, this crowd. is impossible to imagine. Yeah. Like where Eddie Kingston was. Mm-hmm. So they immediately get into chopping one another, voluntarily giving each other's chest to the other, then into slaps, and an Uriken sends Takagi to the floor. Takagi then hits a superplex, and each with chops to the neck, and the, the striking just escalates. Each pop up from lariats. Takagi is staggering from a suplex, lands a lariat, and both go down at the midway point of the match. Northern Lights Bomb by Takagi to Kingston, who kicks out at one. How dare you try to beat me with the Northern Lights Bomb? Is that the rule now? like everybody's like trained their move so much that like it only results in a one kick out i will say the the one and granted i'm watching a lot of wrestling in a lot of different companies but the the one count spot is starting to get very 
leaned upon. Um, and it's going to vary. I think people's uh, uh, did, did Yoshihiko kicked out at one. I know, I know, kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> bastardizing the spot. Uh, pumping bomber is hit by Takagi for a two count. Then an Urican lands for Kingston when he comes back and he hits the Northern Lights bomb to win in 12 minutes and 53 seconds. And if you did not see it afterwards, I watched most of the backstage uh, interviews and Kingston, surprise, surprise, a really great speech after where he admits he was holding on. He came in with like, uh, he was talking big and came in with a brave face, but he was actually very nervous for this. And he was not happy with his performance, mentioning the recent hernia surgery. And he thanked Shingo. I'm not going to trash or talk trash to sell tickets, but Tony Khan, give us time and put us on either all in or all out. I was waiting for one of those Japanese reporters to say, what does give us time mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, this was him just uh, probably just shooting a shot here uh, yeah. because I I would bet heavily that this is not on the books. And this would be Kingston just hoping for a singles match with Shingo mm. Takagi, which they very well may get at some point. I just don't know if it'll be on those cards, but mm. we'll see. Well, I certainly hope so, um, because I think this was the type of match where if taken place anywhere in North America, it would have been like a surefire, like memorable match of the week, maybe even match of the year contender in Japan. I thought the crowds while engaged, I kind of felt like I was missing that next level of buzz, you know, towards the latter portions of the, of the match to really take the excitement to the next level. Um, as it's it, going to be interesting to watch Kingston throughout this tournament because like, yes, AEW programming is on like new Japan world and stuff, but it's like, AEW is not this, you know, national phenomenon in Japan. And I would imagine there's a lot of people that are just getting introduced to Eddie Kingston and don't know his backstory, his love of Japanese wrestling. It's going to be his interviews and stuff that are going to endear him to this audience. So it'll be interesting to see if this, if he sort of um, grows on people and makes that connection over this next month. Yeah, yeah. But booking wise, I mean, obviously, I think it's great. You know, having Eddie get a strong win over a former champion is makes him look really good and tells the audience this is somebody you should be paying attention to for the duration of this tournament. It makes New Japan strong and AEW look really good as well. So a good introduction for Eddie. Good, hard hitting war of attrition type of match with great intensity. I went large, one cream, one sugar and put a sleeve on it. Ooh, sleeve territory. Mm hmm. That's because it was there was so much heat. You need the sleeve. Uh, I, I I went large with a milk and a sugar on this one. This was my um this was my match of the show um of of the eight matches that that we saw. So uh, next up it is Hiroshi Tanahashi and Zack Saber Jr. reengaging their uh, rivalry that never get never disappoints for me. And first of all, let us talk. This is maybe better for WH Park, but we have the new Tanahashi G1 line of clothing where he is wearing this kind of top that does not cover the chest, but covers the arms. And my, he looks like a member of pretty deadly, pretty deadly. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what he looked like here. And Chris explains how Tanahashi does not want to coast off his name. And Kelly is explaining, you know, the high fly flow. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. So it's like they are certainly working in all of the concerns and criticisms Tanahashi has received. And the fact that this guy, his knees are a mess. And and I think that's somewhat of the frustrating part is that if you were going to look at someone that would have the, the, the genius level to totally reinvent their style and get away with taking out key parts and introducing 
safer things, easier things. Tanahashi is the one that you would rely upon. Like he, mm-hmm. he does not need to work a Tomohiro Ishii style. He does not even have to work the Tanahashi of three years ago style. Um, so, yeah. I mean, this tournament is going to push that for him. I'm really curious to know, and we might hear about this from either Karen or WH, who I believe watched the Japanese commentary. Uh, at least I know WH for sure does. But um, do the Japanese commentators mention, you know, um, Tanahashi's performance in these, those AEW Toronto shows? Or is that just Kevin Kelly and Chris Tarleton? Because, you know, obviously they're catering to a more English-speaking uh, audience. Well, we, know, were... we know Liger wasn't on commentary this weekend because he had a very big engagement. <laughs> and right. uh, we will see if Liger's on commentary. Maybe, I mean, the guy was pretty brutally honest uh, recently right. in the media. Yeah, um, yeah my, uh, I, I, I can't tell you about the Japanese commentary. My my assumption would be they, they would not be leaning as much on that as Charlton and Kevin Kelly are, where, mm. I mean, they, like, they are just on the air and they go. It's not like yeah. they have somebody producing them and mm. feeding them, you know, stories and I, stuff. It's like, they just go. Well, I only ask because, you know, how much does it actually inform the, 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 the these matches and, and the sort of, um I don't know, creative deci- decisions and the storylines within these matches? Is Tanahashi actually going to go through this G1 playing, you know, beaten down veteran or is that just something we're all making up as english-speaking audiences there probably are those examples where it's like i would not doubt that there are times like kelly and chris are kind of forming their own stories of what what are we calling and what is the story unfolding in front of our eyes Mm -hmm. and tell like it's it is much more of like a sports based presentation in that sense where it's like they're not going off of like like they're not being produced and have all these like, hey, these are all of Ghetto's stories that he's pushing. And this is yeah. I would imagine like they don't even know where this tournament is going. So it's very much like just calling it like like a shoot in, in many senses. Mm-hmm. And they're just forming their own stories as they're going along and what develops, whether that's in sync with the performers or not. Like they would have that communication with them. But it's an interesting part of the uh, the New Japan English broadcast experience. So we see uh, a dragon screw in the ropes by Zach. So it's it's Zach utilizing a lot of Tanahashi moves, and then vice versa. That they eventually called it uh, opposite world here with the with Tanahashi incorporating more of a submission based offense in this match. But it is the knee of Tanahashi that is being beaten on by Zach Saber Jr., who was uh, probably taking notes on the uh, the Canadian swing for Tanahashi. And then Tanahashi stops a cloverleaf and tries for the triangle, but Zach snaps the knee. And then after a sling blade, Tanahashi goes to the top and Kevin Kelly brings up the slip he made in Toronto. Uh, but it's only an aces high by Tanahashi, who Zach rolls through on and then lands a kick. Tana battles for an arm bar and gets stacked by Zach. And Tanahashi still has his hands clasped. So he doesn't release the grip for the triangle and he gets pinned in 16 minutes and 12 seconds. And Kelly says that Tanahashi was stubborn. He has to change his style. He needs to be a counter puncher instead of an offensive juggernaut. And with that, TMDK goes 3-0 and on the night. Mm. Uh, I thought it was an excellent match. This actually was my match of the night, John. Um, it's the type of style that I maybe tend to favor over just, you know, the, the hitting each other uh, a whole lot. Um, I thought it was a match that told a great story, whether or not there were intentional. no headbutts though in this. Uh, you know what? Yeah, could have really missed opportunity here to you know, 
um, go do some skull and skull uh, action. Um, it's the type of match that I think Hiroshi Tanahashi can still excel at pulling off at this stage of his body of his career. Um, the story of the vet with a brittle body, particularly his legs, selling his ass off at the barrage mm. of knee attacks from this the best submission wrestler in the whole game uh, right now. So you know, these I two- could watch these two just oh. like. I love watching these two together. They are so perfect. They're made for, for each another. other. Agreed. They've always shown great chemistry, but I thought this time there was an added wrinkle of like Zach using Tana's own playbook, which is very much knee focused, you know, uh, with the dragon screws and the high fly flow. And it made sense because Tanahashi has his own weak knee problem. So uh, this was also Tana trying his best to keep up with uh, Zach with throwing in some like a flying arm bar here from, from Tanahashi. Uh, not one high fly flow in this, and I don't think this match needed it at all. It was uh, very engaging. XL for me. Okay, does does Tanahashi hit two or more high fly flows in this tournament? So again, this is all like dependent on whether or not this whole like aging veteran is even a storyline. Well, he hit zero here. Like he didn't even do one to the back. He didn't do like the tees or anything. Like he went to the top, but never did we even like. Sometimes you you. It's like pretty much you're going to get at least one to the back, if not the follow-ups. If he can go through this entire G1, like not hitting one until like the last few matches, I think that would be wonderful. You know, a wonderful way to like make this G1 a bit different for Tom. That's Hashi. the Randy the Ram moment when he hits the high fly flow. It costs him. But yeah, I that's it. Uh, I, I thought this was... I was much happier watching this than some of the Tanahashi matches we had just seen mm-hmm. um, here for, for AEW. So I, w- I went large with a... With a milk and a pinch of sugar on this one. I didn't. I didn't put this ahead of Kingston and uh, Shingo Takagi. That said, if we're grading the entire performance, which includes Zack Saber Jr. going backstage and speaking to the media, it put it pretty high up because he is just holding court with these reporters. He is one hundred percent vegan. George Michael approved, and people are writing off Tanahashi. But Zach notes, I made that mistake in the past. Me. I'm like a majestic dog, a Siberian Husky, or sorry, he's calling Tanahashi the Siberian Husky while he is a gazelle. He's long limbed, but he wants to be a dog. Japan's number one dog. And I came to New Japan to be IWGP champion. This is my seventh G1. And all I'm focused on is getting out of the block stages. The G1, it stands for Great Bloody Techers. Sure. Um, That's the uh, yeah. the Tracy Smothers rule of um, GBT uh, one. Yeah. So there you go. GBT one. Zack Sabre Jr. A treasure with these interviews after his matches. What do you think of his uh, press conference? Oh, I only saw it because you retweeted his segment <laughs> and it was so great. I mean, it's just it's literally open mic night for these wow. these New Japan wrestlers and like what they think that it's it's both what they think will be entertaining and what they are capable of pulling off. And your degree of overness is going to dictate that. And Zach is at a level where he can pretty much do anything. And it's going to be amusing because if Jeff Cobb tried this, I'm sorry, Jeff Cobb, but uh, Jeff Cobb's still finding his voice. So, so what Zach did was um, he basically went up there and like the G1, everybody goes up and has their time. And you can kind of tell like, well, even if without, like, even if you're blind, even if you couldn't even understand either language, you could tell who the foreigners were and who the Japanese wrestlers were. Because typically a Japanese wrestler would just go up and be very straightforward. I'm going to win the G1. Uh, I'm going to try my best. 
you know exactly then like almost all the foreigners would come out with either like really like intense long promos like american style or in the case of zack saber jr like open mic night where he just like spent two minutes checking his microphone he's testing his vocal cords and he's just Which like he going, hit some high notes like <laughs> like can you imagine this guy karaoke uh, I'm just, you know, George Michael? George Michael. Yeah, sure. Um, but like, it's all the more funnier just given maybe like the natural sort of like um, demeanor of like a Japanese audience that's just kind of like always super polite and like people are chuckling and like they're recognizing what's going on. But he goes two minutes checking his microphone in front of this live audience before he just says something in Japanese and in one sentence and gets huge applause for it. It was wonderful. He's great. Uh, he's, I'm, I'm picking him to advance in, in this block. And he's kind of outlining like that is his story for this tournament. He's never gotten out of the block stage. Evil and Tamatonga is second from the top in the C block. So Evil attacks him before the bell and Tama fights back. They go to the floor and then up the ramp where Tama is suplexed onto it, then into the crowd. And Tama is sent into the seats. And this was bizarre because Evil goes back to the ring. So you have the sense he's willing to just take the count out victory but then he leaves the ring thus breaking the count and rings the bell putting his arms up in the air and chris just calls this out like what purpose did that serve by breaking the count and then he goes back into the ring to wait for the count which tama makes it in at 19 so in theory if this guy had not left the ring he would have won this by count out um i mean um who, who uh, made the, the worst logical choices in this show? <laughs> Evil or Alex Coughlin? Yeah, I, I, you know, if you're in a bullet club subgroup, um, somehow maybe you, you end up not, you know, your logic goes out the window, it sounds like. So then Evil goes for the cover and Red Shoes does the deal where he turns his back and he won't count. I hate this spot. Well, uh, it makes okay. no sense. If what I mean, he did was so egregious that you won't even pin him, you won't count the pin, then that's a DQ. He did something so horrible that you will not give him the win. Then you're taking it away from him. That's a DQ. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I think we've, we've been shown that the red shoes persona is one that respects sort of like entertainment value to a high degree. Like, you know, somebody who puts entertainment value and conclusive satisfying endings for an audience above the rule book. And that means not counting when it's you know the the result of a of a weapon shot or something you know illegal and uh not dequeuing people because uh, he thinks that'll you know upset the audience as well and he also got uh, his anger comes and goes because by the end of the match he was there to count the three so there's a kick out spot and evil launches himself onto red shoes so takes him out dick togo gets involved they're double teaming they hit a magic killer but tamatonga kicks out at one one then he applies the darkness scorpion and Tama reaches the rope, lands a Tongan twist and a Supreme flow for a two count. And then Togo's back snaps him on the top rope, avoids everything is evil, but then evil stops the gun stun and Tama roars, but is run into the exposed buckle. And after hitting a gun stun to Togo uh, and a bloody Sunday to evil, evil kicks out. And when the referee is sent into the corner, Tama's gun stun is blocked and behind the referee's back, evil hits a low blow and the everything is evil 17 minutes. Yes, 17 minutes and 34 seconds as Evil gets the two points. To yeah. The tournament. Um, my, my reactions to this one are a little mixed. I thought Thomas' fire displayed in, cl- in the, cl- the closing portion was really strong. He had a lot of crowd engagement um, for his comeback. And 
at this point, I I come to expect like these shenanigans from evil, and so they don't really bother me. In fact, like I just see it as another move in his arsenal. You know, oh, like distracting the ref is akin to you know like somebody pulling out like a dragon screw, for instance. You know, for Tanahashi, and I thought it actually made for some pretty exciting moments in these closing uh, sections here. Powering up Ta- uh, Tana, powering up to gun stun Togo before succumbing to evil's final ref distraction and low blow. All of it was paced really quickly and actually really good. But of all the matches on this card to flirt with the 20-minute time limit, I definitely would not have picked this one. I thought it went way too long, especially this deep into the show. I found myself dozing off several times. And for that reason... This was longer than the main event. Yeah, it felt it too, John. You know, like That's my biggest thing. Like I understand the evil template. I'm not going to complain about it every single time we, we talk about it. But I do think there is that sort of compromise that if you're going to do that evil type of match, I think it it does have that like 10 to 12 minute shelf life. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, it should really follow like the Yano time limit, you know, with that sort of uh, gimmick gimmickry, but I went uh, medium, one cream, one sugar. For it. Yeah. I, I, I had it a uh, medium with one milk, one sugar and, and the sleeve, but not large territory. But um, I, I did put this ahead of several of the, the middle of the card matches. Jeff Cobb and Tetsuya Naito is the ending uh, to this day's show in the D block. And, uh, Jeff Cobb had, well, well, we'll get to his, uh, his, his speech afterwards, but Cobb teases a dive, but instead does the tranquilo pose to mock Naito and then goes to the floor and he steps right on top of Naito as he's going past him. Naito makes his comeback. He's on the turnbuckle and Cobb power bombs him off of the second buckle. And there's this ugly looking Rana by Naito off the buckle, followed with a tornado DDT spin cycle by Cobb and then Naito comes back with Destino, but it gets countered with tour of the islands, which was a very nice counter, but Cobb is down and can't go for the cover. Another tour is countered by Naito with the inside cradle. And then Cobb hits a release German Naito pops up from it. And then Cobb lifts him from the mat into the tour of the islands and wins beating Naito in 14 minutes and 20 seconds, which I will say like it, it was shorter than the match before did not overstay its welcome though. And I thought Mm -hmm. they had a really nice compact Tetsuya Naito match and Jeff Cobb gets the win and then cuts his promo after while wearing an LA LIJ hat. Naito's hat. Yeah. Yeah. Naito's hat, like the LIJ hat. And he uh, does his own version of the roll call for the United empire. And um, yeah, I think we should, we should mention like, Naito's whole story going into this G1 is that he wants to main event Wrestle Kingdom one more time towards, you know, what what are maybe like the lat is the latter portion of his the career, yeah. the sunset of his career, because he wants to finally do his LIJ roll call inside the Tokyo Dome, a moment that was robbed of him from Kenta when he actually won uh, the main event of, of, of um, uh, that year that we went, John, um, 2020. Yes. So, you know, Cobb doing it here, stealing it. I mean, was just, you know, more salt in the wound, wasn't it? Um, but it was awesome. I thought this was a very good match. A lot of strong personality from Jeff Cobb here. It's been a while since I've really checked in with, with him. Um, so I didn't realize his charisma had improved this much. I thought he played a great dick here against a guy who kind of has made a name for, you know, being a dick in Tetsuya Naito. Uh, whereas Naito, on the, on the other hand, in this match, I, I didn't think he had a great night here. You know, I felt that there were a few sloppy moments. But the Rana was really off. that he, And the combination Cabron, you know, early on, like where yeah, he couldn't get he, over the top. He, right. he tried it twice, didn't he? He hit it on the second. Yeah. 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 But some nice transitions by the end. And I thought like Curb, uh, sorry, Cobb turning the D- Destino into like the tour of the islands was beautifully uh, executed. The uh, Cobb stomp. That would be a good element to incorporate. 
But but last thing, thank goodness for this 20 minute time limit, because, you know, if that didn't exist, we would have had 10 minutes of Naito just dragging this along, taking his shirt off, taking his uh, like, you know, uh, button pants off. I love not having to sit through like a 30 minute main event for New Japan just because it's the last match. Yeah, I, I I went large on this one, large with a, with a milk, but I, I like the main event. I like the length of it. And, you know, Jeff Cobb, we kind of talked about, like, what's his role going to be in this D block and at least getting off to the start, beating, like, a significant name in Naito, who I believe is going to have a very big tournament. I see him advancing, and I would I would put him on the short list to win the entire thing. Yeah, I think I would, too. I Just maybe given that storyline alone. Um... You have the the champion that would make a lot of sense if Naito were to win this uh, in Sonata. So there's, there's a lot going for Naito. Who's been, he's been in a background role and maybe by design, we're going to see based on the booking of this Mm -hmm. tournament, but you have that, that lengthy story going back to 2020 of like the big roll call. Uh, I went large one cream, one sugar for it. Actually is my tied with uh, the Kingston match is my second favorite, maybe a little bit below that backstage. Cobb says this tournament is all about Wrestle Kingdom redemption. At Wrestle Kingdom 15, he lost to Takagi. Then at Wrestle Kingdom 16, he lost to Naito. This year, I wasn't even on the show. I was in the pre-show New Japan Rumble. And he says that um, his next opponent is Alex Coughlin. And he makes fun of him for having the 17-minute speech that everyone fell asleep for. But he asks... You're a machine. Well, what happens to a machine when it's thrown into the ocean and lands ashore in the islands? <laughs> rusty machine. <laughs> did he, say, he didn't say rusty machine. Oh, he? yes, he did. He said rusty he said, machine. I watched I you, this twice. I thought that was your joke. No, <laughs> that was it. his joke. He's like, rusty machine. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Clearly, that was not approved by anybody in the back because nobody in their right mind would. Have Nor said, would it yeah, have been mine if great. you ran it by me. I mean, uh, what is it? What kind of Rusty machine is that? Machine. Rusty machine. <laughs> I I love like Ugh. English promos in Japanese wrestling promotions because nobody like they don't like you either. Nobody but the people online are going to understand like what they're saying anyway. So like <laughs> this year I'm watching every promo so before we, we talk because they're the yeah. best. I mean, um, you know, you're I, I couldn't on the New Japan World YouTube. They didn't have the Japanese wrestlers uh, subtitled yet, but they usually do those for, for new viewers. They're, they're really good to follow along the stories and yeah. they do typically a very good job with subtitling the Japanese performers. And and because, you know, this is like pretty much pure wrestling in this entire tournament. These promos, these backstage interviews are really sort of like the only storytelling buildups that you really get. And, and, and for that reason alone, they're worthwhile. They're certainly worth the time uh, if you do. So there you go. That was the second show. I don't think the first weekend like blew me away. Like, oh, my God, this is just going to be the tournament of all. What was the match of the weekend? In in the G1 or mm-hmm. match of the weekend? weekend? Uh, just the G1. Just the G1. Well, my match of the show for night one was Umino and Narita. And night two, it was Takagi and Eddie Kingston. And I... I really love that Narita Umino match like that one. It got over the time limit. I thought uh, I failed to mention this, but the, the job that Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton did, that was my favorite called match of the weekend. Because Mm. if you five years from now, when I guarantee you, they will be feuding with one another much higher up on the card. You can listen to that match and Kelly and Charlton pretty much outlined 
the history and the future for these two and why they are going to be two of the key people, like right down to Umino. He fights like Moxley, looks like Tanahashi, and he uh, has an attitude like Naito or something like that. Um, it, just making the comparisons while Narita is like no frills, no gimmicks. He's just like the black boots and tights and like the, the Shibata influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought they did such a great job of telling that story and – Anyway, a long answer to your short question. I, I, I'm in, I'll go Umino and Narita. That was my I'm, favorite. I'm in agreement, at least for the G1. Uh, match of the weekend, maybe I'll ask you tomorrow. It was a crazy weekend. I saw a lot of great wrestling, but uh, a lot of wrestling uh, this particular weekend. I haven't even seen everything. But there you go. That was a... Uh, that was night number uh, two, and I'll quickly just go over um, the matches for the next show, and then we can do the contest update. Yes. Okay, so Tuesday, Tuesday night, myself and WH Park will be doing the show, and it's the show in Yamagata, and we have Kaito Kiyomiya against Chase Owens, Great Okan against Kenta, Gabe Kidd against Hikuleo, Taichi versus Tangaloa, Ren Narita against Yoda Suji, Will Ospreay against Yoshihashi, Sonata against Shota Umino, and Kazuchika Okada against El Fantasmo. So I would say the, the top four matches sound very promising for that show. Yeah, it does. Sorry, I can't give you any analysis. I'm, I'm trying to pull this thing up, and it's uh, really slowing That's down okay. my computer. Way is going to give us an update on how the contests are doing. And then, um, so Tuesday, it's myself and WH. And then Wednesday show will be Bruce Lord and Karen Peterson back on the cafe. All right, let's go to postwrestling.com slash G1, where all of you guys can go there to find all of the links to all of our G1 coverage, all the results, uh, all the links to all the podcasts for all you uh, Post Wrestling Cafe and video.postwrestling.com subscribers. And also, it's where you can go to find Chris Angler's Post Wrestling G1 Predictions Contest results. He works tirelessly to get these up uh, in a relatively short amount of time. Look at Dickie Bird. What a weekend. So we have here our top listener contest standings. This is uh, of all the people that have entered so far over two nights, who it sits atop. And it is a tie between David Carson and Matt J, both scoring 11 points. Now, what does that mean? How, how many out of? Uh... It means Matt Jackson was on the ball this weekend. Wow. Really keeping okay. up with New Japan booking. Yeah, so congrats to David Car- Carson and Matt J. Can they keep their lead? Because it's a huge tie for 10th. Uh, for at 10 points for second place between Chris Gannon, Dickie Bird, as you mentioned, Don L, Eric from Court, Hobart, I am Corey, Jake D, James TD, Jeremy Flintstone, Joshua P, Knight of the Living Dallas. Uh, is that a lot, is that a a, lot with 10 here? Okay, Optimus Maximus, Pete in Texas, SM rate, SMNE radios, uh, supercomputer randomizer. Okay, if that's somebody from uh. Of a supercomputer representing SMNE radio. Congrats on getting 10 right. Uh, Stephen P, Tom H, and Trevor S, all you guys are tied for t- second place right now. So it's a, anybody's game right now still. Um, of the post-wrestling family block standings. Now, uh, Chris Angler makes sure to... Uh, you know, uh, makes it make a separate section for all of us that are contributors to postwrestling.com. So some of these names you might recognize here. Let's start from the top. Eric Marcotte. Look at that. Oh, this this kid. Great voice. Great appearance on Detox this past week. Um, nine points. Sits atop the standings. Gets five today. Wow. He was five so. for five. T- er, five out of eight today. 
five out of eight, I believe. That's what I got to get it out of my head of like five being a, a perfect score. That's more than the rest of us because uh, it is a tie for second place with eight points between the archivist Brad Copping, W.H. Park, John Clanchester, John Pollock himself, and just as strong as all of you, Randobot2000. All right. I'm on pace with Randobot. That's that's yeah. a win. The person to beat, yeah, the uh, our own supercomputer randomizer here at Post Wrestling. And then third place, it's John Pine, our GCW reporter. John Ceno of uh, a, a Collision Course fame. Lowdown Davey P himself is at seven points. And then Neil Flanagan also at seven points, tied for third place. And then in fourth place, sorry to say, Bruce Lord, you did awfully. You're at six points. You only scored three points today. You're at fourth place. And waiting, you also did horribly because you also scored six points and you're also in fourth place. But, you know, maybe the only silver lining is that neither of us are in last place because trailing at the very bottom of this spreadsheet. Mr. WrestleNomics himself, Brandon Thurston, entering the contest this year and, um, you know, don't underestimate Brandon, okay? This is like Osprey being 0-1 right now in, in his block, okay? This is the man with the uh, the 24-gigabyte pythons. He is he, going to be ready. He's, I'm sure he's feverishly calculating all the stats right now to see, like, who you know who has the best chances of, of going forward. But I guess his, all his picks are already locked in. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how Brandon does. But you, not you know what? Can I can I work uh, a bit of a plug in here? Maybe Brandon is not calculating all the G1 stats because that is sort of exclusive territory of one particular person that gets a shout out on a lot of these New Japan broadcasts. And Mr. wouldn't Chris you know it, that this coming Wednesday, Chris Samsa will be the guest on Pollock and Thurston as we will be talking about <laughs> G1 stats. Okay, so look out for that this Wednesday. I would love to see Chris Samsa's g1 picks do you think he does them i i will ask him if he is involved in any pools or if that's a conflict of interest Mm, interesting okay Uh, let's finally go to the listener prediction statistics below are statistics showing the what percentage of listeners as a group correctly predicted the winners of today's matches uh eight okay i won't go through all of them but the biggest upsets i have to say tonight were evil defeating tamataga only 28 percent of you predicted that followed closely by mikey nichols defeating aaron hanare at 29 percent and also shane haste beating alex coglin only 30 percent of you guys guessed those so those are your biggest underdogs tonight i'm surprised so few thought eddie kingston was going to win i mean i i'm Almost 100% sure I picked uh, Eddie Kingston in that one. It just seemed, you know, the outsider coming in, you you give the big win right off the bat. I guess because Shingo is such a big name, maybe? I That, that like, in, reinforced my my pick for, for Kingston as well. Hmm. But, hey, maybe uh, people did not see Eddie Kingston winning this one. But anyway, always fun to follow along with the contest, and we will be constantly updating you throughout the tournament. So, that is it for Way and I. We are back Monday night with Rewind to Raw, the whole schedule for the week, and it is a busy one. That will be up Monday morning at postwrestling.com. And again, the next G1 show will be Tuesday night with myself and WH Park. That will be on the Post Wrestling Cafe. So you have to jump on board to follow along with that, postwrestlingcafe.com or video.postwrestling.com, and you will be getting shows covering each and every G1 match rated, maybe not recommended, but we will tell you whether it's a a skip or a seek out. One last thing we're, we're actually doing at the end of this. Um, I, I need to know what, what I should put uh, for recommended on the uh, description. So what would you say, John? Let's let's kind of deliberate on air. Um, okay, I'm going to 
give two match for sure for me Shingo Takagi and Eddie Kingston and uh, Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr. Those are the two matches I would uh, put on my short list. So when I say recommended, I mean I I also don't know if I would just put like good matches too. Like what do people need to see coming out of this that might be either newsworthy or just a good match? Like, um, do we? Well, include- Mikey Nichols and Aaron Hanare was newsworthy, but I'm not going to recommend you go watch that. Okay. All right. Fair. I would include the main event as well. I thought it was good. So maybe those are three. Zach, okay. uh, the Zach match, the the uh, main event here with Jeff Cobb and also the uh, Eddie Kingston match. So there you okay. go. Okay. So there you have three matches. If you have to, if you're short on time and who isn't, those are the ones to go seek out. All right. Have a great, um, I don't know, sleep. And then we'll be back with more shows. So off to watch more wrestling. Goodbye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co